Father, we do thank you for this life that you've given us. We thank you that you are the author and creator of life, that you uh, knitted to get us together in our mother's womb. You knew us long before you created us. You're outside of time. And God, we ask that you would help us as a, as a people, um, that you would give us your view um, towards life. We ask that you would give us healing um, for things in our life where we might have erred um, in this area, that you'd bring healing. And Father, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we have a lot of material to cover today. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us um, as we work our way through the end of Daniel, that we would be able to see the big picture, uh, the message here, and how the book of Daniel ties into Revelation. And so, God, we do thank you um, for the gift of your word. We thank you that we live in a place where we can freely study it, that we can freely worship you, that we have great accessibility to the word of God in uh, many, many different languages. And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, help us to be a people of the word. Um, Guide us today, Lord. Help us to uh, honor you as we study and worship you uh, through this text. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, normally, uh, this is the point where I read the passage that that we study. And I'm not going to do that at this point today. Today, we're going to have a little bit of a a longer introduction for the sake of framing Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. These these three chapters are are whole, and there's always a a struggle war of how do do I present the text, And, and so we started this study really in Revelation, and the reason that we're in Daniel is for the sake of giving us clarity uh, in, in Revelation. And, and so it's very easy to get lost in the weeds, and there's fascinating stuff in the weeds, but if you spend your time in the weeds, you lose sight of the whole message of redemption that God has shared. And so I've sort of been forcing myself to, to keep pulling back on the yoke to kind of in the airplane to get you higher in elevation so that we can see the, the overarching theme and picture of what is before us. Um, for those of you that love this stuff, hopefully, you, you know, I can point you in a direction that you can study on your own. For those of you that are not so interested, m- m- the, you're the one who I'm kind of targeting, um, my, my aim is for those that don't have a, a clue of this, that they would be able to, to, to walk a, away with sort of the framework of, of um, the story of redemption, really, that God has unfolded before us in the scriptures. Um, so I start in Daniel chapter 1. We covered Daniel chapter 10 last week. But the first verse that we read there, we read... In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And, under, and the message was true and one of great conflict, and he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. So as we get into Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, this first verse is a summary statement of these three chapters. So Daniel ties together a date for us, and he says in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, he says a message was revealed to Daniel, but he also gives his new name that was given to him when he was taken into captivity, and that's Belteshazzar. By doing this, last week we looked back at Daniel chapter 1, and we saw that at the end of Daniel chapter 1, that Daniel records that he served faithfully throughout all of the captivity until the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And so we see that this is the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So that tells us that Israel has been freed from their captivity. They've undergone the prophecy 
of 70 years, literally 70 years of captivity, not to be confused with the 70 weeks that I've been sharing with in the last few weeks. Um, so that Israel would be taken into captivity by Babylon for 70 years. And through that period, a couple of empires came through. So two years prior, Israel was allowed to go back to their land. And so Daniel had gotten reports that first, not a whole lot of people, a very small people of Israel actually went back to the land to rebuild the temple. And then as they were rebuilding the temple, they ran into all sorts of hurdles. And so Daniel is heartbroken. His, he, he's, he's devastated because he longed for the temple for Jerusalem, God's city, to be rebuilt for God's name. And so as you, we look at verses 2 through 4 of chapter 10, we see that he was mourning, he was uh, fasting from the, the choice meats and wines, and he was praying for his, his nation, his people, uh, for three weeks. And at the end of this vision, from verses 5 to 9, we see this glorious image, or Daniel saw it, and he describes it for us. Last week I shared uh, between uh, chapter, verse 9 and verse 10, um, there's, there's varying opinions. Um, there's some who hold that this, this whole account is the pre-incarnate Christ. There are others that say this whole account is... Um, an angel, the angel Gabriel, that that's, was seen before Daniel, then gave Daniel the message. And then there are others that hold a third position, and right now I'm sort of in the third camp, that Daniel sees this vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, verses 5 through 9 are basically identical to the vision that John the Apostle sees in Revelation chapter 1. And then there's a shift between verse 9 and 10 that then an angel appears and then gives a message. So... You can hold either one of those positions. It doesn't really affect the understanding of the passage. And so I'm going to move on. But back in verse 1, Daniel describes that he saw a vision. He received a message. And this message was about great conflict. Uh, And then he says that he had an understanding of, of everything that he saw. And so, as we work through chapter 10, he sees the vision, then the angel shows up. The angel says, hey, I've tried to get here, but I was held up for three weeks. You know, I was battling demons and stuff, you know, and I was really held up. But then, you know, your, your angel Michael, he came and helped me out, and so I was able to get here. Sorry for the delay. And Daniel's freaking out at this, of course. <laughs> and, and so, most of chapter 10 is the angel sort of picking up Daniel, saying it's okay. Daniel kind of getting himself together, but then he can't speak. The angel kind of touches his mouth and says, you can speak. And, and so everything is sort of, Daniel's sort of placed in the position to receive the message. So then we get into chapter 11, which, which is what we're getting at today. In, a, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 2, really through the end of chapter 12 is the message. So chapter 10 is this encounter, but then 11 and 12 go into the actual message of the encounter. And this is where I point out to you in your bulletins, if you grabbed one, there's an insert. The insert will help you understand um, some things. I will reference it a couple times today. The main side, or, or the side with all the words on it, from Got Questions um, website. It talks about this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, This is the ruler that led to the Maccabean revolt that he did horrific things to. He's understood to be sort of a, a typology of the Antichrist. So he's this picture. So there's like dual fulfillment about him. So... As we get to chapter 11, I think it's the second longest chapter in Daniel. I think some have said it's the second longest chapter in the Bible, but I don't think they were taking Psalm 119 into account. Um, But it's long. It stretches 45 verses. As I study this, I go, ah, 
how am I going to handle this? Hilda sees me this morning and she says, you're covering Daniel chapter 11 and 12. She's like, you better get up there right now and start going. (laughs) And so how do we handle chapter 11? The issue with Daniel chapter 11 is not its inaccuracies. The, the problem with Daniel chapter 11 by skeptics is that it's so accurate. Um, da- Donald Campbell, who was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, he says this, in the first 35 verses of chapter 11, there are at least 135 prophecies that have been literally fulfilled and can be corroborated by a study of the history of that period. So skeptics, normally skeptics say, oh, the Bible's so inaccurate, this stuff is so wacky, you can't do anything about it. They come to this one, they say, this is totally impossible because the prophecies fulfilled here are so detailed. They had to have written this during the Maccabean period, the, the place where the prophecy sort of ends. But Daniel's a pretty old book. Like, we, we know the age of Daniel. And so... trying to figure out what I want to say about this. Um, So Daniel chapter 11, the error, or not the error, the concern that I have about preaching through it is most messages on Daniel chapter 11 turn into a history lesson, which is is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But for the purpose of what I'm trying to accomplish here, I want to, to read this to you. I'm not going to comment on it, and then we're going to go into chapter 12. But to give you the framework of Daniel chapter 11, for Daniel, this is all future. Daniel chapter 2, king has the vision of the great statue, uh, the, the five different parts, and that Christ would come. And we don't have to rehash that. There are CDs out there if you want to get caught up or re, re, relive it. You can, you can go do your study on that. But throughout... Daniel, that image, that prophecy is given a couple different ways and times and keeps being revisited. And so now Daniel in chapter 11, as he's looking future, this angel lays out in precise detail uh, things that are going to happen as it relates to Israel. So I'm going to read through chapter 11. We'll see how long it takes me. And what I want you to see is just to follow the flow of thought. There's there's a history lesson. There's, there's Israel. There's kingdoms to the north. There's kingdoms to the south. They're constantly, it's a total soap opera of battles and fighting for the land and all of this stuff. And it gets really bad towards the end because by the end of it, we get to the period of the Maccabean revolt where horrific things happen to the temple and the Jews and their people. It's where Hanukkah comes from. The Maccabees, the Maccabean brothers had their revolt. And that last king who is in the insert, who I've mentioned his name once already, who is Antiochus Epiphanes. So he's known to be sort of, there's a dual fulfillment. He was one part, but then the Antichrist is a second part, which gets into Revelation. So with that, let's read the story, and then we'll get into chapter 12. Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to rise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. And a mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up, and parceled out toward the four points of the compass, though not to his own descendants, nor according to his authority, which he welded for his sovereignty, will be uprooted and given to others besides them. Then the king of the south will grow strong, along with one of his princes who will gain ascendancy over him and obtain dominion. His domain will be a great Dominion indeed. After some years, they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out a peaceful arrangement. But she will not retain her position of power, 
nor will he remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those who brought her in and the one who sired her as well as he who supported her in those times. But one of the descendants of her line will arise in his place and he will come against their army and enter the fortress of the king of the north and he will deal with them and display in great strength. Also, their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold he will take into captivity to Egypt. And he, on his part, will refrain from attacking the king of the north for some years. Then the latter will enter the realm of the king of the south, but will return to his own land. His sons will mobilize and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one of them will keep coming and overflow and pass through, that they may again wage war up to his very fortress. The king of the south will be enraged and go forth and fight with the king of the north. Then the latter will raise a great multitude, but that multitude will be given to the hand of the former. When the multitude is carried away, his heart will be lifted up, and he will cause tens of thousands to fall, yet will not prevail. For the king of the north will again rise a greater multitude than the former, and after the interval of some years, he will press on with a great army and much equipment. Now in those times, many will raise up, raise up against the king of the south. The violent ones among your people will also lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they will fall down. Then the king of the north will come, cast up a siege ramp, and capture a well-fortified city. And the fortress, and the forces of the south will not stand their ground, not even their choicest troops, for there will be no strength to make the stand, to make a stand. But he who comes against him will do as he pleases, and no one will be able to withstand him. He will also stay for a time in the beautiful land with, the destruction, with destruction in his hand. He will set his face to come with power in his whole kingdom, bringing with him a proposal of peace, which he will put into effect. He will also give him the daughter of women to ruin it, but she will not make a stand for him or be on his side. Then he will turn his face to the coastlands and capture many. But a commander will put a stop to his scorn against him. Moreover, he will repay him for his scorn. So he will turn his face toward the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble and fall and be found no more. Then in his place, one will arise who will send out an oppressor through the jewel of his kingdom. Yet within a few days, he will be shattered, though not in anger nor in battle. In his place, a despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred, but he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. The overflowing forces will be flooded away before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. After alliance is made with him, he will practice deception, and he will go up and gain power with a small force of people. In a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest parts of the realm, and he will accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them, and he will advise his schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army. So the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war, but he will not stand, for schemes will be devised against him. Those who eat his choice food will destroy him, and his army will overflow. But many will fall down slain. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil, and they will speak lies to each other at the same table. But it will not succeed, for the end is still to come at the appointed time. Then he will return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will set against the holy covenant, and he will take action and then return to his own land. At the appointed time, he will return and come into the south. But this last time, it will not turn out the way it did before. For ships of Kittim will come against him. Therefore, will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the holy covenant and take action. 
So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity, by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help, and many will join with them in hypocrisy. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. Verse 36. Then the king will also do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. But instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign God. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them, and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land, and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. I kind of need a sip of water after that. We made it. I didn't time it. But when we go back to chapter 10, verse 1, and we read, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict. We read through the great conflict that you saw. I mean, this is like king is attacking the south, the south is doing here, so-and-so marries who, and it's like, ah, what is going on here? All of that stuff happened historically. Like from Daniel's point, it was future. But if you go to the history books of that time, you can piece this together and, and just pick up any commentary. Your Bible note probably has it all laid out. The, the history here is overwhelming. The, the prophecy that God says this and that it was fulfilled is huge. And so we come to chapter 12. The angel is still speaking to Daniel, is the context. I just see Daniel going pale. I was praying because I was worried because the temple's not getting rebuilt. It's getting decimated. Like, what is this? And he says, now at this time, he's going to give him some encouragement. So as he lays all of this on Daniel, the, the angel, we believe it to be Gabriel, is going to give some encouragement about the angel Michael that seems to be the sort of the, um, the guardian angel of, of Israel. And it says, now at that time, well, well, that time seems to be at the end of the age. There's allusions to the tribulational period 
which Daniel knows as the 70th week, which is a seven-year period. These are weeks of years. So now at that time, Michael, your great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. So just when you don't think it could get any worse, at that time, the angel, Gabriel, or the angel Michael is going to show up. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of life, will be rescued. He said, it's going to get really bad, Daniel. But all of a sudden, something's going to appear. Now, in your insert, I've, I've, I've referenced it. I know none of you don't have it. I, not, I can tell everybody to grab a bulletin and look at an insert. Nobody will, or 60% will. There's always a 40%. I typically tend to be in the 40% where it's like, ah, I don't need it. So I put it up here. So if we can click over the next slide. I want, this is going to be like, there's a lot here. Taking a sip out of a fire hose, you know, this is what they refer to. So what this is titled on the above, this is in the insert, chapters of Revelation as it's related to history. Okay, so because we're really in the book of Revelation right now. Next week we're going back to Revelation and we're sort of piecing together what Daniel has shared with us that we can correlate what happened. So Daniel's time happens back here. So Daniel's in captivity. Daniel chapter 9, he gets this vision about the 70 weeks. 70 weeks of years. So we have 490 years. 69 of those weeks take us up to just right before the cross. I can't get this thing to stay stable enough, you know. It's like the harder you try. But to Palm Sunday, down to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they can do the math back to when the decree went out in Nehemiah chapter 2, that that was 69 weeks for these things to happen for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem. All of the gospel makes sense. They said, Jesus, you got to keep, you got to make yourself known to the world. He says, my time's not here. My time is not here. The hour has not come. Then all of a sudden, as he's going into Jerusalem for the last time, he says, my hour has come. We kind of took that, oh, just generally speaking. No, no, Jesus, I think, is saying literally to the, my hour, my time has come to, walk, to enter onto scene Give my life as a ransom for many. Because prophecy fulfilled that, or prophecy prophesied that this would be happening, and I fulfill it to the T. So Daniel is somewhere back here. We read all of the history, all the way up to here, the, what we would say as the silent 400 years, right before um, the, the time, like what's God doing? The temple's been desecrated again. The Maccabean brothers have this huge war. They basically institute temple worship again. This is what the Jews today celebrate Hanukkah all about. It's that period. The cross happens, and as Daniel chapter 9, as we see in verse 27, there's a delay, there's a, there's a gap that we would refer to between the 69th week and the 70th week, the last seven-year period. So somewhere in here, this is the period that we're in, the church age. We're in this gap era. For us as believers in Christ, from my humble position that I'm teaching from, I was a dispensationalist, I refer to myself as a decaf dispensationalist because I don't fight over it. And I, like, I respect my brothers that hold different views. And so I teach from that same posture. But, but I can't give you guys a survey of all the different views of this. But the, but the position that I'm coming from, I believe that the next ticker in the prophetic clock is according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that Christ is going to come back for his church. And the church is going to be taken from the earth. We're told that at that time, the, the dead in Christ will rise first and the church will be caught up in the skies with Christ. And so what seems to be true, or what, what I seem to believe about what seems to be true, what I, think is, what I think the Bible says is that at that point of what we refer to as a tra- the rapture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 15, that that will kick off the beginning of the 70th week that Daniel foretold about. So we have this little air, arrow, area. <laughs> I use my words for working today. You see seven years underneath your little chart here. The 70 years, you could also write in there one week or the 70th week. This period that Daniel mentions in Daniel chapter 9 extensively. We see allusions to it in this chapter in verse 1 when he says, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. At that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. So it talks about all of these times, the great, the, the great tribulation, the, the abomination, that this seven-year period is going to begin. It's going to start out smooth sailing. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, 
this, this leader who he knows, the Antichrist, is going to rise up. He's, he's going to make a treaty with Israel. Everything's going to be kosher, no pun intended. Literally, everything will be kosher. Everything will be going great. In the middle of this period, at the three and a half year mark, he's going to break the covenant and things are going to get really bad. And so from Daniel, what we see here, what I understand here is that the persecution is going to get great, 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 worse than they've ever seen before, worse than the Holocaust, worse than the things that were happening and that led up to the Maccabean revolt. If you read the back of the paper, that guy was horrible. Like we only talk about the rated G stuff, like that they slaughtered a pig on the altar. But they were slaughtering Jews. They were making sacrifices of Jewish people on the Jewish temple. Like horrors that we can never imagine in this lifetime for them, but it's still future to hear that it'll be worse than that from this period. And then when we read in Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 42, when they said, when will your kingdom come? What they were talking about is this kingdom. They couldn't see the two. Nobody could have. And Jesus is describing a time that as you start marching, as you're being faithful, that generation, there's going to be great tribulation. There are going to be people who faithfully follow Christ. The rapture will happen. There'll be Jewish people that convert, and they'll still be on earth when the church is gone. There'll be people that are martyred for their faith in Christ. And leading up this time when Christ comes back, not to be confused with the rapture, when he comes back, the only people to make it in to the kingdom will be followers of Christ and those who are with Christ in heaven. And so when you read Matthew 24, verses 36 to 42, so often that passage of those people that are taken away that's taught us the rapture, that couldn't be farther from the truth or the context. The context is Noah And in the days of Noah, who were the people that were taken away? The people that were destroyed. And so we're told that something really bad, like all of a sudden this judgment will end. And all of the the bad guy, (laughs) massive judgment's going to happen. And then Christ's kingdom will come. So all of this between this period is talked about between Revelation chapter 6 and 19. So that concludes our study of those chapters. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to go painly through all of the judgments. I do believe that those chapters will become very important to the the believers that are living during that time. But I'm going to give more of the overarching what's happened. Um, And I can argue with myself on both sides for doing that. But everything in this picture is pointing towards, I have this pointer here, towards Christ's coming. Back to verse 1. And there will be time of distress Such has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. At that time, your people, talking to Daniel, the Jewish people, at that time, your people, everyone who is found in the book will be rescued. So it's going to get really, really bad. But Daniel's been given hope by the angel Gabriel about the angel Michael. Let's say to this time, suddenly the book of life, those believers at that time, they're going to enter in. He goes on to say, verse 2, many of those who are asleep in the dust or ground will awake these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. I want to stay close to my notes here. So we get mention of the resurrection. There's a bunch of different resurrections within the Bible. Um, I'm going to limit myself to those that are mentioned here. So we will actually cover, in a few weeks, Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. And we're told there, corresponding with this verse, that during this tribulation period, there will be people who come to faith. And then they'll be executed because of that. And we're told in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, that at this point in the second coming, those people who are martyred during the tribulational period, they will be resurrected. Their, their bodies will be resurrected from the dead. I haven't been there. I don't know what it'll look like. But that's what we're told. And so he alludes to it right here. Many of those who sleep, not taking naps, that they're dead, in the dust of the ground, to clarify it, <laughs> will awake these to everlasting life. Those that died in unbelief are going to stay buried until the very end 
when the great white throne of judgment happens and all believers and non-believers, everybody will be resurrected for judgment, okay? I told you, sip of, sip, out of, sip of water out of a fire hose. Um, verse 3. Remember, this is just poor Daniel. <laughs> so then the angel continues giving hope. So first his hope is like, hey, right when it gets the worst for your people, the angel Michael's going to come. And he's going to take care of some business. Um, verse 3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is a beautiful verse. It was in the midst of chapter 11. It was one of those verses that all of a sudden in there, it was like the words of Jesus on the Mount of Beatitudes. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify God that is in heaven. So that as they're going through their suffering, they will do it with dignity that only comes from grace that God imparts to us. It's like the letter that Scott read. Here's this young 27-year-old couple that the dad, brand new dad, doing everything right. It was like Billy Joel's song, Only the Good Die Young, you know? Like it's, it just doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem just. And here this wife is talking about her precious baby, new dad. And the words of grace just radiate out of her. Because our role is to bring God glory. And so often we short stroke the ability of what God is trying to do in our suffering because we just want to get out from under it. And here he says, during this time, there will be believers that will be walking faithfully with God and they will have insight. They'll understand who God is. This is why we read the Bible. This is why we study it chapter by chapter so that it's presented to us, not topics that Gunnar is searching for week to week. That would be terrible. Like seriously, you guys don't want the topics I choose. But we go line by line and we cover topics that it's, they're hard. I would never choose this. But he says, those that have insight, they understand who God is because the word of God has been grafted into them. We look at Daniel, who was ripped from his home at like 12, 11, 13. His family was probably executed. His country was decimated. He's hauled away, indoctrinated in this horrible empire. No scriptures, but somebody had placed the word of God in him that he had to draw from over the course of his life. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who will lead the many to righteousness. There are people who will reject you, but you have no idea what your message about Christ will do in their hearts. He says there will be many people in the midst of this that will convert. I wish I could see the story that Scott of this friend, this friend of their daughters, like from a heavenly view, like who are they impacting that we have no clue about because of how they're going through this? God's sovereign. But as for you, Daniel, verse 4, just keep on keeping on. Relax. Don't freak out. Put everything you got. Just close it up. Put it, put it away. And the time will come when it's needed. That's what it says, verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. Seal it up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Like, Daniel, you are given this. Seal it up. Go about your day. Then we get poor Daniel. So Daniel's going to now start speaking. So, so seems like that angel is gone or the angel's no longer talking to him. He's now on the edge of the Rephrates. Uh, I said the Rephrates. It was, we got the river somewhere. Now I'm, now I'm panicking that it's not Tigris River in verse 4. So he's on the bank of a river. <clears throat> He'd been praying now the angel we think Gabriel is gone. And then in verse 5, Daniel writes, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing on this bank of the river and on the other bank of the river. So he now sees two 
what we think are angelic figures on the, like the other side of the bank or the bank, I don't know how their bank was laid out. <clears throat> and one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will be the end to these wonders? See, Daniel going, that's a really good question. <laughs> I'm glad he could ask it because I have no idea what's going on here. Verse 7, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters. Of, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, oh, <clears throat> I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, my thoughts are thinking here. I, uh, verse 7, and I heard a man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. And as he raised his right hand and his left towards heaven, so he's like up like that, and swore by him who lives forever that this would be for a time, times, and half a time. Does that sound familiar to you? If you're paying attention, it should, because this was referenced, I think it was back in Daniel chapter 7, 25. Also in 927, this, this speaking of midway through that seven-year period, the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist is going to break the covenant that he had, and things are going to get really bad. A time, times, and half time. That's three-and-a-half years. Throughout this book, throughout, we see that that's the period referred to as the Great Tribulation. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, these events will be completed. So after everything gets to its very worst, at the very worst, it'll end. But guess what's coming? Christ. Verse 8. As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So he said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Like I love I loved Daniel. Like he just, he's going to kind of go for it. Hey, what? I'm not, quite, I'm not quite getting it. But we know from Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, he does understand. By the end of this, he gets it. The light bulb comes on. Verse 9, he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up to the end of time. Don't worry about it, Daniel. It's not for you to know at this time. Point number 2, verse 10. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand but those who have insight will understand. We shouldn't be confused by the craziness of the world. It's evil. It's under control of another prince right now. So don't be confused when politicians do evil stuff. Like, why are we all, like, I'm, all, I'm boggled why Christians are all so confused about the evilness of the world. The Bible makes it very clear. The world's evil. We're aliens passing through. The, the United States flag isn't the Christian flag staked under the ground. Like we happen to be citizens of the United States, but our true citizenship is in heaven according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. We're citizens of heaven, and that's the kingdom we long for, or we should long for. So here's Daniel, his kingdom, Israel. Like Israel is actually mentioned in the Bible. Israel has a huge stake in the Bible. And here is a Jew who's been ripped out of his country, has God's promises saying, I'm going to restore your land. It's silly saying, just relax, Daniel. It's all going to be okay. Verse 11, from the, time, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of de- de- desolation is set up, there will be 120, no, no, 1,290 days. <clears throat> so we know from Daniel chapter 9 that when we're talking about this, the, the, the 70th week, there were some things that we said that had to have happened. There has to be a temple. Right now there's no temple. There has to be sacrificial sacrifices happening. Again, the Levitical law has to be up and running for this period to begin. We know that in Jerusalem today, if you, for those of you that are going to Israel or you're going to make the trip to Israel, when we go to the Western Wall, we'll go up some steps to go get some shawarmas. There's a good little place to get shawarmas up there. And as we walk our way up the steps, we'll pass this, this building that is the organization that's preparing the plans for the third temple. Like Jews presently, Orthodox Jews are planning to build and to reconstruct the third temple so that the sacrifices can keep going again. And so they'll be going, but then midway through, they're going to stop because they signed a bad deal. And so from verse 11, I bring this up because from that time, the regular sacrifice is abolished. Again, it's going to be abolished again. 
and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be, there's a lot of days there. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains the 13, 35 days. I'm not going to confuse you guys with days, but there's a whole other can of worms you can go down to exploring these days and the timing of the events that happen. Um, but verse 12, he says, How blessed is he who keeps waiting. Verse 13, but as for you, go your way to the end. So there's a lot of stuff that Daniel can't understand. There's a whole lot of stuff we can't understand. I think there's, there's, there's prophecies that it's, they're so easy to look at in hindsight, but they were never really clear to look at looking forward. But when you get to the end of them, you go, ah, ha, ah, that's what he was talking about. But I think that the lesson for us, keep waiting. Keep steady. Keep on walking in faithfulness to God. Um, I wrote down the, the answer that, to Daniel's question, verse 9, go about your business, move along. Verse 10, wickedness will grow, but some will turn to the Savior. Verse 11, the great tribulational period will unfold as predicted. Verse 12, promise a blessing for waiting patiently for Jesus. Verse 13, Daniel, keep on keeping on. So what do we do with this? I think first and foremost, the point I, like, I actually had to write it down because I like the obvious point, the, the president of Dallas Theological or the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary says that in the first 35 verses of chapter 11 that, what was it, like 155, like, let me cheat here, 135 prophecies that have been fulfilled to the T. And so I think when we look at prophecy, God's given prophecy, there's prophecy that's been fulfilled. That gives us assurance. There's prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled, and it seems crazy to us, or it seems like how do we put it together in our brain? But I think because of the track record that God has, we can trust on him to fulfill his promise, promise, promises. As we close Daniel today, I want to back us up to day one. And for the first few weeks when I gave the theme of Daniel. And the theme of Daniel is there is a God in heaven and he is sovereign over the nations. He is directing and shaping world history towards his own end. And so as we look at Daniel and we see that God is in control, he places leaders in control, he takes them down, he rises up new leaders. It's not happen chance, it's not... God has a master plan that he's working toward his end. We also see from the book of Daniel, there's a distinction between the church and Israel. God is not done with Israel. We live in this area, and it's not for the church to, uh, to assume all of the blessings that have been given to Israel. We have many blessings that have been given to Israel. We've been grafted in. But God's not done with the promises that he said. And I think that this explains the break in Romans chapter, between chapter 8 and chapter 9 when there's that great promise that all things work together for good. And Paul, as he writes that, he thinks about his Jewish brethren that think, well, what about all the promises that God made us into our nation? What about us? And then he launches into Romans chapter 9 and he says, God's not done with Israel. It's, he says a lot more than that, but we don't have time to cover that all. And so next week, we're going to go back to Revelation. We've already covered the first three chapters of Revelation about the, uh, dealing with the image of Christ, the messages to the seven churches. If you've been behind, all of the messages are online. There's CDs back there. You can grab them to get caught up. We're going to resume in chapter four the scene of heavenly worship. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's simple. We're going to look at worship for a couple weeks. And then in chapter 6, we'll look at the beginning of the tribulational period. And during that week, I'm just going to basically give you some information covering the 19 chapters because we could be there for a very long time and we could get really lost in the weeds. But chapters 9 or 6 through 19 of Revelation describe this 70th week, this tribulational period from a heavenly perspective of the things that are going to happen. But as we wrap up Daniel, but as for us, as Daniel was encouraged to keep waiting, 
to stay faithful, so should we. It's not important for us to understand everything's going to unfold. Don't, like, I've lost track of all these moons now. Like, don't go, for, like, I think it's like the super wolf orange <laughs> decaf latte <laughs> moon tonight. Like, like, God's under control. There's a beautiful moon up there. It's going to be fun, I guess. I, like, I don't know. But, but don't let your whole world get thrown upside down. God's in control. Well, we're told in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, that we're to abide in Christ. We're to walk with him closely so that when he appears, we won't shrink away in shame. And so, Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. I, um, I thank you for the book of Daniel. It's, um, I think of uh, those that reference the book of Romans, that it's uh, shallow enough for a toddler to wade in and deep enough for a theologian to drown in. And so, Father, I pray that with Daniel, this book, uh, Lord, we thank you for the life of this young man who grew into an old man before our eyes over the course of these 12 chapters. I thank you for his faithfulness to you. I thank you for his uh, example of being this man that was disciplined in his relationship with you, that he was gracious towards those that didn't know you. He wasn't obnoxious but that your beauty, your grace radiated through him in a way that he had an impact on many, many kings that didn't know you. And Father, you gave him these visions of unfolding world history for a reason. And so, Lord, we are limited in our understanding of what's going to unfold before us. We pray, Father, that as we look at these things, that you would help us to stay humble to realize that you are a God who is in control, that you have everything under your power, everything's moving along just as you intended. We pray, Lord, that as we live our lives in this fallen world where we experience sin of others, where we experience the consequences of sin in our bodies deteriorating and breaking down and dying before our eyes in a way that we can't understand for we were not designed to die. Solomon tells us that eternity has been placed in our hearts and so death doesn't sit right. And so, Father, as we've seen so many prophecies fulfilled leading to Christ, coming to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, fulfilling that 69th week perfectly, Lord, we ask that you would help us to put uh, our faith into him, not just blind faith, that there's historical evidence supporting the testimony of who he was. His life through his miracles demonstrated who he was. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to wrap our arms firmly around him in this life, that we would walk confidently with him, that as the world is flinging all over the place and crazy reports on the news and fear strikes us every which way, Father, we pray that we would be anchored to you, that our anchor would be in Christ, that we would be unmovable, and that we would have confidence to know that everything's okay. You're our dad that's holding us, as Scott shared earlier this day. It's a beautiful picture of your sovereignty. And so we love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's good name.